Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, listener. Welcome to The Things We Do For Love. I'm Izzy Sutty and we are back after a break of five years. We did four episodes. Then we just thought we'd take a really long break, guys. We went on holiday, we did a bit of other work and now we're very much back with a vengeance. So welcome if you haven't heard it before and welcome back if you have heard it before and you have a good memory um, that can stretch over five years. In our first episode, I'm going to be chatting to the brilliant and brilliantly funny Jess Fosterkew, who I'm sure you will know from her stand-up. She appears on lots of telly shows. She's appeared on Live at the Apollo, amongst many other things. She does lots and lots of live stuff. And her 2019 show, Hench, was nominated for the Main Comedy Award in Edinburgh. Um, and she's also got the best voice in show business, it's really gravelly and it makes me want to be her best mate, which is kind of my attitude for the whole of the record. Um, you will see. When we did the first series, it was all in front of an audience, which we really loved doing. But we have done it in a different way because of Covid for most of this series. And I think it's been more intimate. And I think I've probably got a little bit more juicy stuff out of my guests because they forget that other people are going to listen to it as well. So you're in for some real treats. So, yes, please sit back and enjoy me chatting to Jess Foster Q about the things we do for love. Welcome to The Things We Do For Love. The things we do for love. The things we do for love. This week I'm joined by comedian... Jessica Fostercube. As well as being a comedian, she is a... Mum. And a... Eat fan of eating. Yes, yes, so am I. Um, her favourite mm. carpet colour is grey, dark grey. Very good for hiding stains. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, her least favourite dip is 
Ooh. I know. Um, um, that pink one made of fish's eggs. Oh, no. That's my favourite. Ah, but some days I love it. I just don't know which way it's going to go. And the unpredictability of it makes me so sort of worried. Yeah, that you're not going to use it all. and Because you've got to use it within 48 hours. You can never eat that much fish roe in 48 hours. So I'm going to have the next half of taramasalata after this with pita bread but I don't think I'll be able to eat the whole half so yeah I hear you but I started eating it in my second pregnancy I ate it every day and yeah I can't so maybe one day we could share some and you can eat like an eighth of it and I'll eat the rest this is perfect I think what happened is I loved it and loved it and sort of was a freak child for loving it and then um I must have had one I think that was a bit crap or a bit fizzy or just something a bit wrong with it and now I live in fear I still feel drawn to it, but also full of dread. Yes, kind of like um, a weird poisonous flower that's very beautiful, yeah. but when yeah. you get near it. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Do you have a thing where you eat something too much and then can't, like when you listen to a yeah. song for too long? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll ruin food like I'll ruin songs. But you've just got to do it if you feel so inclined, haven't yeah. you? I did it exactly. with this thing called Anne tuna, which my friend Anne made up the recipe for this. And it's just anchovies. <laughs> <laughs> we always call it Anne tuna. It's just anchovies, tuna and butter beans and parsley. And mm. I loved it at the beginning. And I had it sort of like five times a week for about six months. And I was like, I can't ever eat Anne tuna again. And I gave it a break. <laughs> I gave it a really, really long break. And I was like, I think I'm ready to eat Anne tuna again. And I was like, I can't, I can't do it. It's, no, oh no. I know. Yeah, gosh, I can't remember the last time I did it with, to be honest. Perhaps I did that more when I was younger. Yeah, yeah, I but did yeah. more when I was younger, yeah. yeah. Um, so we've just had a bit about food at the beginning because we love talking about food, another thing that we love. Um, welcome to the things we do for love. This is the podcast where we talk about the things we do for love. And it can be love of food. It isn't just love of boys or girls. It can be love of your family or love of things. Um, it might be the time you pretended you'd had your bike stolen so they'd feel sorry for you and then fall back in love with you. I've never done that. Um, It might be the time they sent you a letter begging you to get back together with them and you set it on fire in your garden, then got worried about it setting the grass alight so your mate Joel pissed on it. I have done that. (laughs) I have done that. I went out with this guy and he, it was not for very long. We worked in the same call centre. Yeah. And um, at the end, he wrote me a letter. And this had happened to me more than once. That sounds really but it had and um yeah he was a lovely guy but I thought no I feel really bad about the way I broke up with you so I just want this letter gone so I yeah. just decided to set it alight but it was really dry and hot in the garden so I was worried the grass would set alight and then <laughs> so my mate pissed on it to put it out I mean we could have just got some water but yeah. <laughs> in my 20s you know that kind of thing just happens doesn't it oh god I love it yeah the drama of it the ridiculousness breeds more ridiculousness have you ever set anything alight I have actually but it's such a it's I feel bad for opening with such a grim story Please but um oh it's not good I was um I was either 12 or 13 and I was in a like Amdram play in the little town in Dorset where I grew up and there was basically a really creepy bad guy also in the play who I had no idea at the time but wasn't his first attempted conquest. It, an adult, basically. Oh, God. Right. Yeah, grim. And he'd like hang around in a car outside my house and stuff. Nothing ever happened, but the sight of him, the thought of the sight of him makes me want to puke. And he wrote me a love letter which, you know, 
even as like at 12, 13, I wasn't stupid enough to know that like, essentially a paedophile has just given me evidence <laughs> to, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes. To get him, to get him potentially convicted and stop this happening to other people, blah, blah, blah. But you don't think like that when you're at the cold face of it, basically. And, um, I was so repulsed by it. I can't remember what it said, but I, that I just, I lived in a house just with my mum and I remember walking out and we had, didn't have a proper garden. We had like a little courtyard and just immediately burning it, finding one of my mum's lighters and burning it and just waiting for that feeling of nausea to go. But then being furious with myself for the stupidity of having, having burnt my only evidence. Oh. And what at all. Did you yeah. tell your mum? No, never have actually. <laughs> But I understand that instinct to want to get rid of it because it's like, that's so awful that that happened to you. I think, especially when you're young, you just think, you know, like if you think, if I close my eyes, this thing will go away. Yes. I suppose it's a bit like that. It's like if I destroy, but that's what I was doing as well. Yeah. When I was like, however old I was, 23, 24, I was just thinking, surely if I burn it, it won't exist. Therefore, I won't feel like this anymore. But I still felt guilty and weird and. It's in lots of television and stuff and films and stuff, isn't it? It's obviously a very human compulsion, I think, to I bur- think specifically is. to burn something and it's a something. big sign of an end of something, some sort. Yeah. And it's part of funerals and stuff, isn't it, too, in lots of yeah, cultures? it is. So it maybe is. there's some very ancient ties to the symbolism of ending a thing with fire. I think there are. Like, if you got a love letter now and you wanted to get rid of it, shredding it would feel so different from burning it. Shredding it's so... almost too funny, isn't it? There's something a bit funny <laughs> about shredding something. Like really methodically putting and then it jamming the shredder and yeah. then, yeah. If anything, you're left with more of it. Yeah, exactly. You've yeah. just basically multiplied the problem. You've and turned then it someone into... could go through your bin and piece it yeah. back together anyway. It's turned it into a really easy jigsaw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I burnt... I split up with someone in my 20s. Everything happened in my 20s. Really. Do you find this, that sometimes yeah. you're trying to write material and you're like, I've got a kid now, I've got two now. Uh, nothing really that interesting happens. Like, and I sort of go, hmm, can I rake through my 20s again and write an hour-long show? Maybe about that year that I lived in the house in Camberwell and had loads of parties, even though it has no relevance to my life now. Anyway, in the house in Camberwell. Um, so I... Um, I went out with this guy and I'd kept loads of things in a box for years and years because I just couldn't throw them away. It was like I'd accepted that we split up, but it just broke my heart, the thought of... And they were like really stupid things, like, you know, things that are symbolic to you, but to anyone else would just be like like the back of an envelope where we played the card game Shithead and we'd like put our yeah. scores on it and stuff like that. And I had it all in a box and then my friend Mary, this Scottish friend who's amazing and has always been there in a crisis for me she was like you need to burn it you need to burn it it's that thing of like you need to get mm. rid of it and we burnt it we put it on top of a really expensive barbecue that belonged to my housemate at the time <laughs> we put oil and vinegar on it and I do with another Ooh. actor as well and he did this kind of prayer to the gods it was it was sort of amazing wow. it, it, we hadn't planned it we were just all in and it kind of expanded into this big ritual and we kind of blessed the stuff and then said goodbye to the relationship and then we burnt it and then at first it was great we were like whoa the smoke's really weird it's got oil and vinegar on it and then at the end there was this teddy bear that had burnt itself onto the grate of the barbecue like oh, welded no. itself like in the position of Jesus like oh. with its arms outstretched and then we couldn't get it off 
because it was, I don't know what it was made of, but it was like completely attached to this. So I had to buy a new fucking barbecue. Oh, no. My, and it was really expensive. It was like 70 quid. I've never bought a barbecue. So maybe that someone's listening and going, actually, that's really cheap for a barbecue. But I was like, oh, my God, I've got no money. And I'll buy yeah. So it was like he had the last laugh, actually. Yeah. <laughs> After all that. Maybe when he gave me that teddy bear, he was like, if she ever burns this in eight years, it's going to stick itself to a barbecue. It's funny that they, I think, the saying goodbye to things, the remnants of relationships. I've got much more minimalistic as I've got older. And um, I think especially once you've got little kids, because you just, your life is so full of stuff. And every time I've moved house, not that I've moved very, very often, I'd put everything in shoe boxes. So love letters, stuff like exactly like you were saying, things like knickknacks from holidays on relationships and stuff. Photos, obviously. I'd kept them all in shoe boxes. And then every move, at one point in one move, I halved the stuff. But there's stuff from the beginning. There's still stuff that's always been there. It's probably a bit big at the moment. I've probably got about four shoeboxes again because my kid will have some crap from nursery that will go. But, I, you know, I'll go, I'll keep one of these 10 things, stuff it in there, stuff it in there. But actually the stuff, there is stuff in there I never, ever want to lose. And I think it's to do with the enduring potency of it, maybe a little bit. Like, um... It wasn't my first, my third proper relationship, but there we, when we broke up, it was so sad that we wrote to each other. And oh god, I mean, I remember reading that over a decade later, maybe more like fifteen years later during a move, and reading this note from this boy when I was what seventeen, and bawling all over again. And I was like, well, then that's a bit of magic because I don't. There's no bit of me that hankers for that relationship anymore. It was a different person we were different it's actual history but um the power of remembering the sadness i was like you can't buy it make it invent it it's so extraordinary it's worth keeping bits and bobs i think sometimes but then it's like you say i suppose with the catharsis and stuff it's a different thing if you're clinging onto a sort of a shrine to a relationship that some bit of you in any part of you still properly misses i suppose yeah but I think you're absolutely right. You've almost got to take the essence of it. If, yeah. If you find it pleasurable to look back and cry, because sometimes it's nice to cry, quite purging, isn't it? Yeah. And I know exactly what you mean. It's like you're, when I think of my first boyfriend, my first proper boyfriend who I went out with when I was 14, we used to just have such a laugh because there was no, there was drama, wasn't there? Because it was kind of like, my mum won't let me go out and she found a joystick in my room she thought it was weed and stuff which is what happened once my mum found a joystick and thought it was a joint like she must have never ever seen anyone smoke a joint anyway of course there's drama it's easy to look back with rose tinted glasses isn't it and I was quite a troubled teenager but in terms of our relationship it was like this kind of oasis because we were innocent we were virgins and which was unusual for my luck at 14 Um, (laughs) and it was actually really lovely and I haven't got anything from that relationship I don't think maybe a tape a cassette tape but even if I think back to it not that I would ever want to get back together or anything like that like you said it's more that it's like I sort of not only want to remember who I was then I would like to think that I've still got a part of that girl in me now and what I mean is that kind of curious nature that you have as a teenager and of course you think everything's shit and that the world's against you but 
I think you're more open as a teenager unless mm. you're really unlucky and have a sort of very traumatic upbringing, which is different. Yeah. Um, than you are as you get older and you kind of get into the grind of life. So I think sometimes that's what it is as well. Like the thing represents not only who you were, but like who you hope still lives inside you. And totally, yeah. And like that boy, like I, it was definitely my first falling in love, but I had no idea it was happening. And I, there's a sort of defensiveness to remembering the intensity of that emotion, I think, as well. Because all through the relationship, he would go to say, I love you, and I'd be like, shut up. We're too young to fall in love. Like, don't be an idiot. We're too clever to talk like that. And I was such a sneering asshole, really. But probably it was armour. Who knows? Yeah. A classic teenage lack of self-awareness. And then we both went off to university and he was having a gap year and I wasn't. And I was going to uni in London and he wasn't. And that was just the end of it. We'd always planned to break up when that happened. But then it just hit me like a train, like, and him as well, I think. But me more so because he at least had had his eyes open to the fact that it was a really emotionally involved relationship. Whereas I'd just been sort of just totally blindsided by how much I'd fallen for him. And I remember his, I just had never known a pain like it. And I remember at the time thinking, is this similar to what it feels like if someone you love dies? And I now know it is. Like, it's a grief, a loss of a love like that. And you can lose friendships and feel grief. Like, it's not necessarily... Uh, has to be romantic love that when it ends can feel that catastrophic. It was the first taste I got of the extremity of my emotions. I think I've now had enough conversations with the two therapists I've ever had to know that I think I'm someone who very much feels their feelings. And um, But it was my first wallopy dollop of that. But I remember his lovely mum, who was Dutch and all through it, had just been like, this is so lovely, you're so love. And I'm like, no, no. Um, and I remember her very kindly intended but kind of saying this is going to happen to you a lot of times in your life your first heartbreak you know your first falling in love and I remember thinking I'll never feel like this again and so on the one hand having you know a letter or note that can trigger in a positive way the catharsis of all of those feelings on the one hand I get to think shut up actually that was as important as it felt at the time and on the other hand yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> um, what a baptism of fire, but it wasn't the first and it certainly won't be the last time you ever yeah. feel like that about someone. I know exactly what you mean. You can see it in both ways, because especially if you see that it was wrong in hindsight and it wouldn't have worked if you'd stayed together and tried to make it. A lot of people have that, didn't they? In the first year of drama school, a lot of people who were like, oh, I've got a boyfriend called Nick from home. We've been together since we're 16. We're going to get married. And then by the Christmas of the first year, they'd like yeah. slept with someone else in a field <laughs> yeah. at a party. And they're like, yeah, me and Nick have broken up. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I think it's nice to look back and go, oh, it definitely wouldn't have worked. Like I'm definitely someone who likes putting things in categories and ticking boxes and going, oh, that wouldn't have worked anyway. Good. Not that I look yeah. back and go, oh, should <laughs> yeah. I stay with the guy with braces when I have braces where our braces actually locked together while we were kissing? <laughs> um, I don't mean that. I don't tend to look back and regret anything, actually. But I guess what I mean is I find it very nice to kind of think, oh, that house wouldn't have been right. Therefore, I don't need to think about it anymore type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something good about going, oh, my God, I can't believe how much I cried about that. But yeah. as you say, it's easy to think, isn't it? Oh, I was pathetic and stuff. But 
the intensity of the emotions at the time can't be denied. And I agree. I think it is like grief. And having now lost my dad, um, mm. I think that it is a form of grief when a relationship ends because you may never see them again and you're grieving what you had together and what you were together and you're probably grieving the future that you imagined together so I sometimes think people are quite quick to dismiss sounds like his mum was good to go yeah please don't worry if yeah you're, you're gonna She's be very fine wise. Yeah. yeah but also you know when people kind of go oh for god's sake you're yeah. you know you're gonna go to university probably you're gonna and it's like well actually it's such a big deal at the time yeah and yeah I wonder if also looking back is going, I got through it. Yeah. Like, you know, when you go, that was so shit and I got through it and therefore I will be able to get through more shit things. Yeah, absolutely. I pined for him for the whole of that first year of uni. It wasn't like it was done and dusted. And I kept trying to contact him, even though he was in a kibbutz. Oh, was he? In Israel. (laughs) It was awful. How did you try and contact him? Because there was, was like a phone it? number. It's 2001 yeah. I went to uni. And there was a phone number you could try. And then if you money ran out while you were waiting for him, someone to find him and him to get to the phone and writing letters. But Christmas term, he was back for Christmas and I was back from uni for Christmas. And um, I think even just a term of living in London as opposed to the village that I was from had... I think I'd changed physically quite a lot and started the heartbreak hadn't helped. There was a catharsis in that. And basically we had one more bonk and it was rubbish, but it just sort of needed to be done. I think I even had an STI. <laughs> <laughs> That's like really someone's sexy. telling you something, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that. But psychologically, it was just one of those things where it was like, doesn't need to be particularly good, but can this just be some sort of the equivalent of burning something in a fire? The fire is my vagina. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, bad, bad, but um, good I in a way. It. And it was, yeah. there was a really much more solid goodbye then. And then like a long break of no contact. And I just remembered a guy who once gave me thrush when you were talking about the STI. And then yeah. I was like, you've given me thrush. And he was like, it's fine. Thrush actually cleanses your body out, babe. It's like a really misunderstood disease. It's like, how does it cleanse your body out? It's a yeast you know? infection, Dave. Come on. <laughs> douched with, you've given me thrush. Um, Alice loves that I'm doing this podcast, by the way. You can never <laughs> listen to it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I wonder if technology has made it, you know, like now, if you were trying to contact him, it would be easier to make contact. Horribly easier. But then it throws up all this... Bullshit. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. That's got harder and harder, probably, hasn't it, for people as time's gone on? I feel people's presence is more pervasive. Yeah, there are now a myriad of ways. I feel like I haven't had someone go AWOL on me and not be able to contact them and then being a twat basically in the modern age of technology. And it must be horrible to be able to like email, text, page. I don't think people use pages anymore. I like to think they do. Maybe nurses. Maybe you can fall in love with a nurse. You can fall in love with a nurse at a pager, yeah. And a little like um watch sticking out their shirt pocket. And a hat on and a kindly nature. Um yeah, like if you if you've got all these ways to contact someone, it's terribly difficult because it I feel like even though they're very likely to have got your message because you've tried every single way, it must be quite easy to go, oh, but their phone might run out of battery or their laptop might have broken. Or I know a guy who was writing in the South Bank in London and was so annoyed with the notes that he got from the producer that he threw his laptop into the river and then was like, oh, shit. But because of iCloud, it was all backed up, so it was fine. Oh. It was like, even, in a way, it's even oh worse that it was on God, iCloud. Yeah, you, you do, do something like your... that. You want it to be really like a big gesture. It was like, oh, no, I'm just going to have to. But anyway, so the person you're trying to contact could have done that. Or So I think you can yeah. say so many things to yourself, can't you? Like, I'm thinking about this guy I went out with when I was 17. I really did fall. So is it in love if you only go out yeah. for like two months? Oh, I think you can fall in love in two months, yeah. Yeah, and I think that if you feel like it's love, then it probably is. The brutal truth of it is, if you boil it down to, like, what falling in love is, which is, like, your brain coping with a rush of hormones, of course it can happen at first sight and it can happen in two months. I think what feels more sensible about it is that the sort of solidification of it over time, like how it manifests, how it gets its roots in. My worst heartbreaks, that that one, that guy when I went to uni, and then another one a few years into doing stand-up, so about 10 years ago, they were both after relationships that were a year, 18 months long. And that's not that long. I think, if anything, when those hormones are still raging, that's the worst time to sever it. But I do think, even if you're falling for someone, if you break up within a few months, you can feel horrific, but it will pass quicker. Yes. It's a bit like having food poisoning yeah. for 24 hours or something, isn't it? As opposed to, like, a chronic disease. Totally, yes, exactly. Chronic, You've yeah. been microdosed with yeah. something very intense, but the dose was tiny. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what? With him, it was about two months. I feel like it took me quite a long time for my heart to recover. Mm. But 
the intensity of the morning actually tailed off quite quickly. Isn't it funny, though, that I think sometimes some relationships or some bonds that you form with people and sometimes dependent on their behaviour, but people can keep you, especially if they stay in your life, even in the peripheries of your life. They yeah. can. I always felt like... My ex, who is the father of my kid, he, when we first got together, I was 19, and I thought head over heels, and he was quite straight up about not wanting a relationship, but kept sort of seeing me-ish, but with no commitment, and no offer of commitment ever. And so I was sort of, once I knew I was falling for him, kind of self-harming a bit by continuing to see him. Yeah, yeah. But then eventually called time on it. And even then I wasn't honest. I was 19, so well I wasn't done, honest. Though. Yeah, but I remember saying, look, I can't see you anymore because this is actually really painful. I don't feel like I'm being treated very well. And he was like, you want a proper boyfriend? And I was like, no. <laughs> and like, you know, and had to leave and then text him, yes. Yeah, that is what I meant. Just don't make me say it to your face. Yeah. But then he stayed in the peripheries of my life, the odd text message here or there, knowing the chances where I'd see him at a house party or I'd get to flirt with him a lot. He worked at the end of my road in a shop. Like, he was always just there and it felt like I was being kept, like the bait was constantly there. And so and I'd did have... you used to get, like, even if you saw him at the end of the street, did your heart start to beat faster and yeah. stuff like that? Like, yeah, yeah. Definitely. But I would know it wasn't going anywhere. So, you know, intellectually, I'd be able to persuade myself to... And I was like, when I'm single, I'm prolific and joyfully so so I would put it about certainly just for gratification but also on a hunt for love for a cure for this impossible situation and I would have relationships two three months relationships and I look back now some of them were with really good guys like lovely lovely people who on paper I could have ended up with for way longer but I wasn't emotionally available that whole patch years and years and years was just waiting to get back together with him and yeah. it was off and on until, yeah, until two years ago. It's so Mad. weird, isn't it? But then yeah. you probably look back and see, because you did then get back together and, I mean, yeah. not together now, but, you know, yeah. the, the kind of the story in a way had an ending, didn't it? Because you yeah. had a child and, you know, like yeah. if you'd never seen him again, like if he moved to a kibbutz and you didn't have the number and you didn't have an email address and stuff, mm. you possibly wouldn't see it in that way. Maybe you'd go, yeah. oh, I don't know. What I'm well, saying is, you know, it. when you get back I'd, together, yeah. it feels like a rainbow, doesn't it? Where it's like, oh, all those years I was just not behaving brilliantly because I was just waiting for him and whatever. Yeah. Um, not behaving brilliantly, what I mean is, do yeah, all the yeah. shagging you like. That's very much allowed. What I mean is being emotionally unavailable. But like involving myself in relationships, yeah. knowing deep down I wasn't emotionally available. And yeah. that's not and behaving that's, brilliantly to those people. Yeah. And also, Definitely. in a way, it muddies the waters, but then what else can you do? And I've done that too, because you don't feel at the time like you're emotionally unavailable. It just feels yeah. like the right thing to do because you're yeah. like, they don't want me in the same way that I want them. Therefore, yeah. it's really bad. And that happened to me at college. It was that sort of classic thing where we were really good mates and then we ended up sleeping together and it was actually not great. And both of us were like, brilliant, that wasn't great. Our bodies don't really go together. And so let's just leave it and be mates. But then because we were at drama school and it's just like everyone's giving each other massages all the time. Everyone's bisexual. <laughs> like people are gay, but then also love boobs. And Yeah, yeah. very confusing. How confusing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so it became really, really messy. Yeah. Um, and we'd sort of be at parties and go, 
okay, I feel like so-and-so wants to go home with me. So what's happening if you found someone? And it's like, if we hadn't, we'd go back together and maybe have sex or maybe not. Maybe just talk about Mike Lee films all night and how yeah. we were never going to do theatre and education. We were going to go straight into Mike Lee films. I remember doing that literally all night being like, well, I probably wouldn't do a Mike Lee film that was like really serious. I'd probably do a comedy one first and then... <laughs> Oh, for that naivety. <laughs> you know, it. so it wasn't necessarily that we were always sleeping together, but I guess what I mean is we kind of had this hold over each other. Yeah. But in different ways, I think I wanted him to be my boyfriend. I was right. quite straightforward about it. And I think he definitely didn't. So that mm. was the, the sometimes that imbalance underwriting everything, isn't there? Yes. And then everything yeah. that happens is a sort of game because... You oh, need each other I mean, in different ways. I think until the last year, I'm with my girlfriend now and for just over a year, and uh, up until her, I genuinely thought, because it was my experience, and it's so, so hard, certainly with matters of emotions, to see beyond your own experience, that I'd never felt safe in falling in love before. Every other time I'd fallen in love... Either they didn't want me back or it's made me panic. Like, I've never felt safe falling in love before her because ultimately something in me knew I wasn't. The older I've got, the more nuanced the fear that's come with the beginning of falling in love has got because it's been like, I have got so little time and so have you got so little time. You're actually not that invested in this. I know what you But mean. more often it's come down to something less black and white than that. And it will just be the slight status imbalance. There was always one person more into the relationship than the other. And I've been on the flip side of it as well. I've been the one who's not as into the relationship. But I'd never until this year been in a relationship where I felt myself going. And it felt utterly undramatic. And I mean that as the highest compliment because... I could feel the person falling in love with me too, at, if not exactly the same. I don't know how it works, but it's such a steady... Well, it wasn't steady. It's been a year and it's, you know, basically lived together already. But it's but like... I know what you mean. It felt like it's never 100% safe, but if yeah. you sense that the other person is on exactly the same trajectory yeah. as you at exactly the same time, that's about as safe as you can get. Yes, exactly. And actually there's something very calming about that kind of falling in love. And, and to the point where, because I've never experienced it before, falling in love until age of 36 had never not come with a simultaneous feeling of fear that I even found myself questioning it and going, are you falling in love then? Because you're not checking yourself for danger at all here. <laughs> and it's like, you shouldn't have to. It's just the internal product of, of all your past experiences where you've never been loved as much as you're loving or vice versa. You know, that creepy feeling, it's quite a creepy feeling of knowing someone's falling in love with you way faster than you are with them. That gives you that slight like, ooh, do I run away? Well, also you don't want to let them down. Yeah. And I know I've let people down because I've been too polite. And, And sometimes I think this probably would have worked a year ago, but... For whatever reason at the moment, I just yeah. don't... Well, what happened to me sometimes was that they wanted to have kids and I wasn't ready or yeah. perhaps vice versa, really. But what you've got sounds incredible. I think some people will never have that for their whole lives. Mm. I think with Ellis, I had something similar, actually. But because he lived in Cardiff, yeah. I I just thought 
well, he lives in Cardiff and I live in London. And for that reason, I was really, really relaxed because I was engaged a year earlier and then it, we hadn't got married. We'd split up and that had been quite a big deal because we'd been living together and I thought we would get married. And then, so then I had this year of being like, oh, I'm living in this house and when I'm living with people from college and it feels like I'm 22, but I'm actually in my 30s. And when, when I met Ellis, we just couldn't stop talking, couldn't stop laughing. And because he lived in Cardiff, I was like, well, what's going to happen? He lives in Cardiff and also he's got a girlfriend because that was his Facebook status. And because oh. he supposedly had a girlfriend, he didn't. He just hadn't updated it, which is so nice. Ellis. But I, didn't, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that at the time. I should have known how messy and disorganised he was when he, the first time I ever met him, he turned up with his cagoule covered in Ribena late because he'd, <laughs> um, he'd spilt Ribena all over himself and he, it was all over his crotch. It was like really <laughs> sticky and then he just did the <laughs> And I just thought, you're so great. Um, because he lived in Cardiff and because I thought he had a girlfriend, it was actually great because I was like incredibly relaxed yeah. with him. I was like, I can't stop talking to this guy on the phone. I'm single. He's got a girlfriend. So nothing's going to happen. But I just really love talking to him. And then it happened almost in like a childlike way. Yeah. And, and that was so lovely. Yeah. It's funny to think that it happened in a different way because of that would it have happened differently if we'd both been on tinder and you know what i mean oh like, god i mean i've got a very kind of unscientific <laughs> <laughs> belief in um well i think actually it's a sort of belief in the butterfly effect do you know what i mean that like the order that things go in the universe has such extraordinary impacts like i have a totally unscientific belief that if i because i did like a degree that i never ever used but i didn't get into my first choice of uni and i have this like really strong sense that if i had got into there I'd have done what the degree was in and wouldn't be a comedian now. I wouldn't have the friends. I wouldn't have lived in London. I wouldn't have any of the life I have now. I wouldn't have the kid I have now. I wouldn't have... I sort of feel like I really strongly know that. And I think even like when it comes to the starts of relationships, like with my girlfriend, we met on an app. I'd never been on an app before. I was fresh out of a nine-year relationship that should have probably ended sooner, but... You know, it's just so complicated. Well, it's, yeah, it's easy to look back and think it could have ended sooner, but actually ending a relationship is so hard. Yes. Especially when you've got a kid and, you know. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. And sort of wanting to end it well as well, which actually yeah. takes... It took an extraordinary amount of time and therapy to work out. It went from being something that I knew deep down I had to do, but it was impossible to do, to something that suddenly became imperative to do quick yeah anyway yeah when I met her we met on an app I only ever joined one app we met for a date but because she lives or lived still lives in Glasgow as well as here um she was just in London briefly I was in a play it was the press night so I didn't want to drink alcohol I was cacking myself so we met for a cup of tea in the afternoon which is very out of character for either of us had a lovely time, but we didn't even kiss. It was so rushed. Well, not rushed, it was nice, but it was just like, I don't know. Why did you meet in the afternoon? Was it because you had the show? I had a play in the evening and she happened to be in London and she was going to something that evening and I had the press night. And then I knew I'd have my agent there and I wouldn't be able to meet back up later. And so much pressure if on your first date they come oh. and see you in a play. Oh, no, no, it wasn't in question that she'd come and see the play, no way. 
oh my God, I wouldn't do that. I feel really weird about people coming to see my, me perform even really far into a relationship. Yeah, I, me too. I feel weird about anyone I know coming to me yeah. perform anywhere. It's like that you're very different worlds that don't need to collide, yeah, so actually. Sorry, I, I've got go through what I'm going to do in my set beforehand I can't talk to you yeah I mean, but then you realize all these little rituals you do before you go on stage with yeah. stand-up I guess I mean more than acting yeah. but yeah so no um, those worlds should be kept apart especially when there's something at stake so you met in the afternoon oh, I think that's really we met lovely. in the afternoon we had a, some herbal teas and then she was back in London another time and wanted to try to meet, but I had my parents coming to see the play and they were around. And, I, and I, you know, and I've got a kid. I was knew I had to be up at six in the morning. It got to, it was like 11 at night. And I was like, my parents are only just leaving now. And she was like, I've bought you a wine. And I was like, I can't go and meet you and get home at 2 a.m. and wake up at six. I can't, I'm too old for that. I'm just, and then we talked a bit over WhatsApp or whatever. And I called time on it early doors I was like look I I feel like I'm mucking you about I haven't got any time for this you're miles away nothing's even happened you know I know we're both going to be at the fringe can we just meet for a drink then and sort of scrap this for now so how far away was that from Edinburgh that was like six weeks Mm -hmm. and then thank god she basically she, I now know, was very sad about that, about me doing that. But at the time, I was like, we've not even kissed, you know, nip it in the bud. I just panicked. I was like, I've got nothing to give this. I don't think I'm looking for a relationship. And thank God she sort of ignored it. Left it a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, but then just sort of, I think, sent me an interesting article. And then we got talking again. And then by the time we met in Edinburgh, or just before the fringe went up like a day early, we met already with her with a suitcase <laughs> ready to spend like we'd already got to know each other so well virtually yeah absolutely mad but I do feel like there was a reason for that sequence of events and if we'd kissed at the first date or if we'd met up again later that night or if if I hadn't done that message calling it off basically not calling it off but calling it off yeah any of those butterfly wing flaps I hadn't done or we hadn't done we wouldn't now be like I think that, well, the happiest I've ever been. Yeah. Mad. Isn't it weird? It's like you can have a beginning like that, that I feel like sometimes in TV shows or films, it's depicted as if it has to be a smooth road initially mm. and there has to be honesty. And in a film, you sending that message would be like her kind of throwing her computer wall and being like, no, that's... But actually, she was upset and then sent you an article, which is so cool. I don't think I've ever done that. You know, if someone... Had said to me in the past, sorry, I don't never want to see you again, but let's just give it a few weeks. And then I just would have been like, yeah, fine. Yeah. Even if I was really upset, I just would have been like, fuck you, basically. Just because yeah. my defensiveness would be like, I don't want to get hurt. I'm not going to put myself on the line. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's so cool. I was like, what made you persist? And she was like, I just really wanted to shag you. And I was like, okay, well, look, fair enough. That's nice. That's I love that determination yes. I've never had that and it's the same with any sort of rejection if like yeah. if someone goes I don't like I'm like okay fine I'm never going to come back here again I don't like <laughs> yeah. I'm never going to go yeah. on a train again okay like yeah. um my dad did that to my mom apparently she said 
she might be going out with someone else. Perhaps they met on a skiing holiday and she was like, I like you, but nothing can happen. And apparently he just literally took no notice. He was like, okay, yeah. And then just carried on. And then like, she was like, oh, right. Okay, you're not going to go anywhere. Like, We're married now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. funny, isn't it? Because I mean, ninety nine percent of circumstances, you if someone says to you, "I don't want to see you anymore," you must listen and leave yeah. her the fuck alone. But if I think they've gone, oh, you know, I just don't know where my head's at, at the moment, blah blah blah, and you, there's this spark of it that knows there's something that needs resolving, be yes. it a kiss or a bonk or a lifelong relationship. Yeah. <laughs> there's something yet to happen with you two. Then it's worth a few extra pushes. Also, if somebody sends you an article, that's not someone going, "Can we meet up and talk?" You know, there's nothing grabby about that. You yeah. have the option of ignoring. You're not an arsehole if you ghost her. You might not have had time to read it, but actually, the fact that I read it and then was like, you know, let's start a dialogue again means, yeah, yeah. that was a good way of doing it's it. It's a good olive branch, isn't it? Very cool. Yeah. Do you remember when, um, I'm not on Facebook anymore. Can you still poke people on Facebook? I don't it's know. Like I am. Um... ever invented. Oh, it's like, horrible. Oh my God. Like, can you imagine I... doing that in real life? Like, just yeah. going up to someone and being like, hey. Oh, like Just prodding them. <laughs> horrible. They must have got rid of that. It's not very hashtag me too, is no, it? No, it really isn't. No, it really yeah, I hope they have. If they haven't, they need to. But sending you the article is so much better than doing something like that. Yeah. Essentially, she was poking you. She's going, hi, I'm here. Yeah, I've been thinking yeah. about you. Here's a thing that I think you'd like. But she's doing it in such a more elegant way. Than yes, being like, totally. Like, talk to me. I got poked in a very sophisticated way. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Jess. I've loved it. I've loved it. Thanks for having me. What a lovely, lovely thing to talk about on a Wednesday morning. Talk about love. I'm I'm glad it was a nice way to spend the Wednesday morning. Um, I'm going to do the closing song now. Everyone at home, I'd love you to clap too. The things we do for love. The things we do for love. This week I talked to... Jessica Foster Q. Her favourite dip is... Um, oh, baba ganoush. Oh, I don't like baba ganoush. You haven't tried it from uh, Feyrou's, an amazing Lebanese takeaway in Catford. OK, I'll try it from takeaway in Catford. Thank if you. I still don't like it. You're allowed to not like it. dinner and I'll have all the time a salata and you okay. can have all the baba ganoush. Yeah. <laughs> the things we do for love... Last question. Uh, she can or cannot do ceramics? Cannot. The things we do for love. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. And that was me chatting to the lovely Jess Foster Q. Hope you joined in with the song. Um, Jess also presents her own podcast. It's called Hoovering and I've done it. It was really, really fun. It's about food and the enjoyment of food and everything that comes with that. And she's got a big Hoovering live show in London on the 17th of July with Joe Brand and more guests being announced soon. So check that out. Her website is jessicafosterq.com. Not Fostergue. She's not a Montague. She's a Foster Q. So it's F for Freddie, O, S for sugar, T, E, K, 
K-E-W, like Kew Gardens. Can you tell I worked in call centres for years? Um, so yeah, jessicafosterq.com. And she's also finishing her tour of Hench, which is her massively acclaimed stand-up show at the end of July and the start of August. And she is at Jessica Foster Q on all social media. And I have a book out. It's called Jane is Trying and it's out on the 22nd of July. You can pre-order it now. It's a novel about a woman who is trying to make her life better and lots of people around her are trying to give her lots of advice. She's quite an anxious person and she's trying her best in trying circumstances, including her partner having just cheated on her. Um, So yeah, please do check that out. I am at Izzy Sutty on Twitter and uh, you can follow me to see what I'm up to as well. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We certainly did. If you did, please leave a review, subscribe, tell all your friends, tell your enemies, and uh, we'll see you next time. The Things We Do For Love was hosted by me, Izzy Sutty, and featured my guest, Jessica Foster Q. The theme music is by Charlie Jefferson. The Things We Do For Love is produced by Ben Walker for Fuzz Productions and the Internet. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.